podcast. Hello. It is podcast time. Welcome to the Arch Independent Podcast. I am Tommy. I am the host. And it's an action-packed episode today. Let's start with a couple of updates. We have been featuring some very interesting class action lawsuits on the 2023 Arch Indie Podcast series. First up, an update out of Humboldt County. You may recall that Humboldt County set up a marijuana abatement program. And the result of that program was the county assessing huge fines on the residents regardless of whether or not they were actually growing weed. Well, some good news for Humboldt County. The court has tossed the case in what I think is a very peculiar decision. Judge Robert Illman decided to cancel oral argument the day before it was scheduled to occur. Instead of allowing the plaintiffs to present their evidence and arguments, Judge Illman unilaterally decided the plaintiffs could not prove their claims and he summarily dismissed the case. In his 52-page ruling, Judge Illman used the word implausible about two dozen times, he simply refused to believe that Humboldt County would subject its residents to this type of completely corrupt citation and fine process. Ultimately, Judge Illman ruled that the plaintiffs lacked standing to bring a claim for excessive fines and fees under the 8th and 14th Amendments because their claims were non-punitive as none of the plaintiffs had actually paid the absurd fines that Humboldt County was assessing them. Further, according to Judge Illman, the plaintiffs knowingly purchased their properties with presumably obvious pre-existing code violations. Basically, the judge blamed the victims for buying their way into these code enforcement nightmares. (laughs) I mean, just a terrible ruling, in my opinion. I assume that this is going to get reversed upon appeal, but we shall see. Maybe those Humboldt County residents need to dust off that killdozer after all. (laughs) Next up, Fireball. Please tell me you remember Anna Marquez. Miss Marquez filed a class action lawsuit after the makers of Fireball Whiskey attempted to deceive consumers by marketing a malt liquor product with nearly identical packaging as Fireball Whiskey. That was a hot and fiery episode for sure, and the court agrees with Anna. She has adequately argued the facts and the law, and the court has denied Fireball's motion to dismiss. This case will now move to discovery. Not really, though. In reality, the case will move to settlement, and Anna is gonna get paid. Fireball is not gonna allow their internal communications about scamming people into buying shit malt liquor. 
eh, they're not going to produce those in open court. No, no, no. You can forget about that. They're going to cut a nice fat check and make this go away. Congrats on that payday. It's been a minute since I've gone through the show feedback. Always a pleasure to hear from the listeners. So let's do that real quick. I listened to your top three list show. All the movies you picked suck. Okay, thanks for that. More from the duet show with Drew. Tommy, good guest. Glad he mentioned Norm MacDonald. That guy is so underappreciated. Beer League is a classic. Also, how is Norm dead, but Artie is still alive? (laughs) You know what? I don't know. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I guess it is a little weird. Moving on. uh, Folks really seem to enjoy the shows with Chris, and I appreciate that. We are definitely kindred spirits, and that chemistry that you hear is very natural. I really enjoy kicking it with Chris, and we'll probably do more of those collaboration shows in the future. One of the topics we will definitely include is Pink Floyd. Shout out to the good homie Nuts who sent that feedback. Man, I wish I had thought of that, because I can't fucking stand Pink Floyd, and Chris loves them. Lastly, I wasn't expecting it, but a lot of feedback came in on the old D-Government X shows. You may be aware that special counsel John Durham has released his report on Russian collusion investigations. That resulted in a bunch of people reaching out, and this is always just a little weird for me and my podcast, because... I documented essentially everything in the Durham report years ago. There's not really much left for me to say about it. I'm seriously not looking to take victory laps or pat myself on the back. I said from the start, anyone could have done what I did. Wasn't a clairvoyant. I just had enough integrity to look at the docket and be intellectually honest about what was in it. However, that was a bridge too far for most people. They wanted the narrative. It is what it is. They wanted to believe that Russia hacked the election. That way they could stomp around yelling orange man bad and feel justified. There is a psychotic level of partisanship in our society. You may have noticed that. And it's a fucking trip. It's so dishonest and so hypocritical all day, every day. And the Durham report really drove that point home yet again. And I'm not going to beat the dead horse on this. However, one of my favorite writers of all time, Chris Lynn Hedges, He did publish a column about the Durham report, so I would like to take a moment to share some highlights from that. Chris Lynn Hedges delivers the message without much humor or levity. So I'm going to say quote, but these are really paraphrasing some excerpts. Quote, There is no report 
investigation, or new revelation, including the recent release of Special Counsel John Durham's report that will implode the myth that Russia was responsible for the election of Donald Trump. Myths are impervious to facts. They fulfill an emotional yearning. They are a short circuit from reality into a world of childish simplicity. Hard and painful questions are avoided. The cynical con that the Democratic Party and the FBI carried out to falsely portray Donald Trump as a puppet of the Kremlin worked, and it continues to work because it is what those who detest Trump want to believe. If Russia can be blamed for Trump's election, we avoid the unpleasant reality of our failed democratic institutions and our decaying empire. We avoid acknowledging the complicity of the Democratic Party and the orchestration of the largest social inequity in our nation's history, the evisceration of our basic civil liberties, endless wars, and an electoral system bankrolled by the billionaire class, which is just legalized bribery. End quote. It's really not complicated, and Chris Hedges just nailed it. The self-identified liberal Democrat attaches themselves to these myths because it allows them to avoid looking at the horrific outcomes that Democrat policies create. And as long as they're able to hide in the myth, they're always the righteous savior that's fighting against an unspeakable evil. It's the same old team good thing that I have been discussing for years now. And Chris Lynn Hedges sees it just as clearly as I do. A couple more excerpts. Quote, The liberal media provided thousands of stories and reports that falsely painted the Trump administration as a tool of Russia. When you feed a public consoling myths, there is no accountability. Myths make us feel good. Myths demonize those blamed for our self-created debacles. But it is a lot like handing heroin to a junkie. All of the investigations into Trump's ties with Russia are unequivocal. There was no collusion. The FBI has a long and sordid record of illegal spying, infiltrating organizations, blackmailing, persecuting, entrapping, and even assassinating U.S. dissidents such as Fred Hampton and perhaps Malcolm X as well. But it should still worry us when it operates as the thought police on behalf of a ruling political party. The Durham Report documents a systemic abuse of power by senior members of the FBI to advance Hillary Clinton's campaign. FBI officials were aware that there was no reason other than institutional hatred of Donald Trump to open an investigation. But the myth of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election provides a convenient escape hatch from the political, social, cultural, and economic rot that plagues the United States. The liberal class, by clinging to this conspiracy theory, is as disconnected from reality as any QAnon theorist. End quote. Good stuff as always from Chris Hedges. To wrap up the segment, here's what stuck out most to me 
about the Durham Special Counsel report. Number one, his self-imposed limitations. Despite the immense legal powers granted to a special counsel, John Durham's team issued very few subpoenas. In fact, none of the key FBI suspects were subpoenaed. They declined to voluntarily participate in interviews, but inexplicably, Durham's team opted not to subpoena any of them. Peter Strzok, no subpoena, no interview. Lisa Page, no subpoena, no interview. Andrew McCabe, no subpoena, no interview. James Comey, no subpoena, no interview. (laughs) I have acknowledged this before, but holy shit, I could not have been more wrong when I said that John Durham was going to unflinchingly prosecute corruption at the FBI. Wrong. Wrong. Fucking wrong. He did the exact opposite. He viewed every event in the light most favorable to the FBI. And that did surprise me. It also allowed Durham to reach the absurd conclusion that this was all simply gross negligence. All of these wild violations of law and FBI policy were not fraud or actual malice. It was just a big whoops. I mean, it sure seems weird that none of that gross negligence worked in Donald Trump's favor, though, right? I mean, every single irregularity in the FBI process worked against Trump and for keeping a fraudulent investigation open. Obviously, that is not possible. It's like the old cliche about a cash register that always overcharges customers. That cash register is not broken. It is fraudulent. If it was broken, somewhere along the line, it would have undercharged a customer. Just like if the FBI was truly just negligent, they would have made mistakes in Trump's favor at some point. But that did not happen. The other observation that I had, which seems pretty obvious, but I guess it's still worth mentioning, the Durham report lays bare what an absolute fraud the Mueller special counsel was. Big Bob kept his big investigation going for years, despite knowing everything that's in the Durham report. They knew it was all bullshit. It's impossible to have access to the exculpatory evidence that's in the Durham report and still justify a three-year Bob Mueller investigation. We all lived through a hideous attempt to overturn a duly held election. It's right there in front of everyone. But like I said, that is a bridge too far for most people. They don't have the integrity to be intellectually honest about any of this. And they don't have to, because they can always retreat to the partisan bullshit bubble where they're told how stunning and brave they are to fight against the evil orange man. (laughs) Of course, it helps that none of the FBI perps are ever going to face prosecution. Hell, they didn't even face a subpoena. But that's just the world we live in. It's kind of gross, huh? Actually, it's 
even more gross than that because there was some new never before seen information in the durham report the special counsel detailed how the fbi had direct evidence of clinton foreign fundraising activities there was clear criminal conduct by the clintons however andrew mccabe the deputy director of the fbi personally stepped in and shut down that investigation <laughs> amazing right our own federal law enforcement agency perpetrated this immense fraud because they didn't like how the people voted in a free and fair election. They attempted a brazen administrative coup, and instead of standing up and speaking truth to that power, what did most folks do? They put their head down and went along with it. <laughs> there was no lie too big for them to swallow. They are completely subservient to the Democratic Party. They will sit back and watch the FBI conduct these ridiculous investigations, and they will not say a fucking word. That is the world that we live in, homies. You like that? You know you like that. Okay, usually this is the segment where we'd have some fun and break down a class action lawsuit, but I came across something that I think is even more fun than that. It's a youth subculture pamphlet, and this was released in the 1980s as a Christian parenting guide, and it classifies the various subcultures of youth from the 1980s. You gotta check this shit out. Quote, how do you know if you have one or more of these hardcore fans living under your roof? How can you tell if there is a problem brewing or if it is just another phase of growing up? Some of the outward symptoms are hard to miss. The loudness of the music, the strange garb and hairdos. But let's look at the way that young people identify themselves. Bear in mind, though, that a given youngster can change his taste in music gradually or overnight. That not every kid who dresses a certain way or who spends his waking hours with a particular kind of music necessarily follows the patterns in all of his activities. Many of the youngsters do not classify themselves into the following categories, though when pressed, they may admit to an affiliation. End quote. Ooh, sounds scary. An affiliation to a subculture? Living under your roof? Let's take a closer look at some of these very dangerous subcultures. Number one, stoners. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let me get my composure. Number one, stoners. Quote, the name says it all. They try to stay stoned all the time using mostly pot, but with the addition of hard liquor and beer. They just gotta be laid back to listen to their music. They favor all black outfits, broken only by band logo t-shirts. Many of them look stoned, even when they are not currently under the influence. Their minds seem to work very slowly. <laughs> Some of their earrings feature skulls and upside-down Christian crosses, end quote. Wow. Next, 
punks. Quote, Punk music is unbelievably loud, sounding much like rock, but less musical. Lyrics are shouts and screams about such things as sex, drugs, rape, murder, anarchy, war, and chaos. Favorite musical groups are the Dead Kennedys, Generation X, and Charged GBH. Punk music is a bunch of musicians badly abusing their instruments. These kids dress in shreds of material, safety pins, combat boots, dog chains. They are involved in self-mutilation, for example. The safety pins in ears, noses, and cheeks. They are destructive and usually angry. They hate everyone, even other punks, and especially authority. Their hairstyles can be colorful and outrageous. Drug use is heavy and includes alcohol, marijuana, speed, cocaine, and if they can afford it, heroin. End quote. Now, I think that's a little hypercritical of punk music. That whole three chords and the truth thing, it generally works. But, you know, if the Christian parenting guide doesn't think that they're skilled musicians, who am I to argue? Next, heavy metalists. Quote, currently the largest group in most schools. They listen to today's bands, and their taste runs to Judas Priest, Motley Crue, Van Halen, Kiss, and Rat. Their clothing tends to emulate the garb of their musical idols. Black parachute pants or dark blue Levi's, t-shirts with pictures and names of musical groups, plaid shirts, and white, black, or red tennis shoes. Their hair is usually shoulder-length and unstyled. Girls may wear large earrings, sometimes looking somewhat like fish lures. Boys tend to wear a single earring. They are heavy drug users, with pot being the favorite, but also including hard liquor, crystal, and older ones add cocaine to the list. Many are not motivated to do much of anything constructive. They get their drug money from thefts and from dealing in drugs themselves. End quote. So... Now, I feel like I could take personal offense to that one because I am a Gen X kid, which means I was going through my youth in the 80s, and I certainly enjoyed heavy metal. I don't think I would put Kiss in that bucket, but, you know, I almost need to have solidarity with the worst gimmick band of all time. If the Christian Parents Guide is going to slag Kiss, I guess I got to stand up and defend them. They're a cornball band. Let's move on. Next black metalists quote performed by christian death merciful fate venom and slayer this music and the kids who listen to it are heavily influenced by satan they can resemble in appearance the heavy metalists or the stoners but their choice of jewelry can often indicate the difference black metalists wear skulls pentagrams upside down crosses and the satanic s that looks like a lightning bolt. They are almost totally alienated from anything establishment, most particularly anything Christian. They have a fervent dislike of authority and have a great tendency towards violence, much of it directed at their immediate families. The more they are under the influence of the black arts and Satanism, the more difficult they become to communicate with." End quote. Okay. <laughs> and that concludes the Christian Parenting Guide look at youth subcultures. 
I'm not sure how Depeche Mode and all of those shoegazing mods got away from the god people. How did they all get off so easy? I mean, is there anything more suicidally depressing than a David Gahan song? <laughs> but let me close out the show with this thought. It's an interesting retrospective on the way that religions classify and demonize certain sets of people. As always, there's a lesson not to repeat when we look back in history. Take care of each other out there.